Welcome back to the Mark Claire Show. My guest today is the prolific author of many, many books involving hidden history and political corruption and conspiracy. He is also a podcaster making regular appearances on America Unplugged with our friend Billy Ray Valentine, as well as his own program, I Protest. I'm very pleased to welcome Donald Jeffries. Don, welcome to my show. Oh, thanks for having me. Pleased to uh, make your acquaintance, Donald. And uh, you've uh, you've been in this game for for a little bit now, uh, writing about these topics. And uh, I really just want to start at the beginning, uh, or your beginning anyway. How did you first uh, get a, a hint of interest in this idea of uncovering hidden history, political corruption, and conspiracy, and that sort of thing? Well, uh, the JFK assassination is the one that got me started down these rabbit holes. Uh, <clears throat> I was a teenager. Um, when I volunteered for Mark Lane Citizens Committee of Inquiry in the mid 70s. And uh, I never looked back since, you know, when I first started reading the books about it uh, and getting to know Mark Lane a little bit. And uh, he was a hero of mine. Uh, he was the most famous critic of the Warren Report. And, uh, you know, getting to go to the archives and hold the alleged rifle and the magic bullet and see the clothes and JFK's clothes and have a private sitting room to view the Zapruder film frame by frame advance. And that was kind of giddy stuff for an 18 year old. And, uh, it just hooked me. And, uh, you know, I just kept reading more and more. And, uh, I was always a writer, you know, at that time I was writing songs. I, you know, I th thought I could be a singer songwriter and, uh, poems and started to mess around with a novel that later was published. But, um, <clears throat> so I knew I was going to write something. I wasn't sure that I would write my own JFK book or anything like that, but, um, so I just, I kept up with this. And then as, uh, as time went on, like, especially like during the nineties, I mean, that was conspiracy central. There was so much going on during the Clinton years with the body count and the, you know, Vince Foster and, uh, Waco, Oklahoma city, JFK jr. I mean, all these things I covered in, you know, my first nonfiction book, hidden history. So I started, you know, being interested in all these things and realizing they had a connecting, uh, Line, you know, this is like a, an unending stream of what I call organized un, organized corruption, or uh, you know, basically organized crime. So um, I've never looked back. Then, I, so I, I got to the point where I um, I really don't trust anything. I realized after wanting to be a journalist when I was very young that how bad this, the, our state-controlled media is, and it is really indistinguishable from Toss and Pravda at the height of the Soviet Union because they just regurgitate, you know, the talking points of authorities. And I started realizing that these people don't tell the truth about anything. So uh, later when Donald Trump would come along and call him the fake news, I mean, it was a, a perfect description of them. So, uh, you know, I just started cranking out the books when I, you know, I had my first novel published. <clears throat> and then I, I, you know, still consider myself more of a novelist. But, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the other two, which I, I finished, which I think are really good, I just ha wasn't able to get them published. And I was frustrated, so I just said, you know, I'm going to try nonfiction. So Hidden History, which is still by far my bestseller and been really successful, was just kind of a compendium of all the things, all the books I'd read, all the things I'd studied uh, for decades. And um, people liked it, and so uh, I started writing more. So I'm, I'm up to eight books now, and uh, it's there are more to come. There's a couple more. You know, it's going to be one's going to be published before the anniversary of the JFK assassination, well, another JFK book, and then I'll have one. The next basically installment, the third basic volume of Hidden History will be out uh, next year. So uh, it's, there's never, you know, there's never a lack of anything to write about. I mean, you can look online any day and find just new stories of conspiracies and cover-ups. I mean, it never stops. These people are, this is what they do. It's a way of doing business for them. It's pretty fascinating that you would be that up close uh, and, in, and in person to like... Uh 
a conspiracy like the JFK assassination at such a young age. I think um, a lot of people like me, when we're at that age of 18, we kind of just take in what we hear from our parents, the media school. We sort of take things at face value. At least I did at that age. Uh, it was only later in my life that I started to, you know, get a sniff for, for some things and become a little more cynical about everything. Um, I, I'm curious how that was for you just being at that young age and being directly exposed to what was really an unfolding conspiracy, even at the time, what what you might even call one of the first modern conspiracies. I, th I think the term conspiracy theory came out to sort of smear uh, Warren Commission critics. But maybe you could dig a little bit deeper into that because it's, it's a little, it's pretty appropriate because actually last episode I did a whole uh, discussion so, sort of laying the groundwork for the JFK assassination. So maybe we can sort of dovetail into uh, more of the details from there. Well, it's, you know, uh, I had always, I came from a Catholic family and, uh, <clears throat> I was seven when JFK was, was assassinated, and uh, it's one of my first memories uh, watching non-scap coverage on television. And you know, even at seven years old, I, and I was influenced by my father and all the relatives around. I mean, nobody thought Oswald did it. So, I mean, my, my Catholic family's grieving. Most of them thought Johnson did it because they hated Johnson. <clears throat> and uh, so that was my mind at that point. You know, early on, I was predisposed to think that they got it wrong. I didn't understand why they got it wrong or anything, but uh, it wasn't until later as a teenager that I, I, you know, even though I was a Kennedy fan, uh, I always rooted for the Kennedys just because of my roots. I don't know. They're just kind of my, you know, I'm a fanboy. I admit it. They're like one of the only families I like in public life. But um, I started reading some of these critical books like Rush to Judgment by Mark Lane. And I realized, wow, this is, I mean, I knew Oswald didn't do it, but man, I didn't know it was this obvious. And so, uh, <clears throat> you know, Mark, when I was in Mark Lane's group, I, I just was still naive. And I thought, because we were supposed to try to lobby Congress and call local reporters and things like that. And I just, you know, again, in my naive eight, 17, 18 year old mind, I'm thinking that, well, I just have to let them know. They don't know. For some reason, they're just not aware of this, you know? Well, right. You might be maybe still had that schoolhouse rocks mentality of government where if you, if you just write your congressman, then they'll surely take care of this mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually thought that, you know, once they figured what they thought Watergate was big, this is, you know, but um, it was very disillusioning to realize that uh, they had no interest. And then once I started reading up on other things to realize why they had no interest, because mm. as, uh, as uh, Sinclair, Sinclair Lewis said a hundred years ago, you know, it's, it's hard to convince a man of something when his job depends on on him not uh, understanding it. And uh, that's what these journalists do. Their job depends on them not investigating anything. So, uh, and that starts with the JFK assassination. So, but I wouldn't have been able to produce really any of my books or publish any of them. I wouldn't have any reason to write them if we had a free press. Because all I'm doing, the hidden history, it's, it's not really hidden, it's, it's there. You can find it. It's just, um, you know, it's, it's distorted. Uh, it's covered up. It isn't talked about very often. So somebody like me comes wrong and I, I can find an audience for people that uh, say, wow, I didn't know that or I forgot that or something because they're, it's, but it's, it's hiding in plain sight. But if they do, were doing their job, I, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd be writing something else, I guess. But uh, I wouldn't be writing these books because there wouldn't be a need for them. You know, people like me are filling a, a void that exists to the extent that there are still book readers. You know, if I had been, if I had done this, uh, 50, 60 years ago uh, and gotten these books published then, then I, I would probably be pretty wealthy because there were that many more readers, hidden history especially, based on the sales I have now, it would have sold probably at least a half a million copies 50, 60 years ago. But uh, unfortunately, we have fewer readers. So we have to, I'm very grateful for the readers that are out there. But as you know, it's just, uh, 
There's just fewer humans reading, unfortunately. In how yes, it is. It is, especially younger people with the internet. They're wasting and their time on podcasts and then stuff like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why we have to do all these other things. And my, uh, you know, it, it, we can't just depend on uh, books. Why I write on Substack regularly, and I have a paid option there as well because uh, you have to try to uh, make a living as best you can. I'm a full time writer now. Well, very good. I mean, it's great that you can uh, that you're able to get enough support to, to do this full time because I think work like this is so important. And I, it, you said something that's really key there, that you know, when you say hidden history, you know, this isn't hidden in the sense that it's it's buried underground and you have to go break into some chamber to gain the secret knowledge. The knowledge is available. It's just not propagated by the systems uh, that our society generally trusts, our education systems, our, our media systems, our government systems, they're the ones that hide it, but they're not hiding it so much as just not telling you about it. If anything, it's more like omission, would you say? Right. I mean, you, you, well, until now, it's it's getting harder to write these books, though, because in the beginning, it was very easy because uh, you could find, and I try to find mainstream sources, and you usually can, because if you don't have a mainstream source, you know, the readers say, oh, what is that, you know? Right. It's not a credible source. So uh, most of the time you can find a, a, a you know, mainstream source. But uh, the problem is now the, the search engines are a part of the censorship. So mm -hmm. they, it's very, I have, you know, I have a, a couple of researchers that have helped me out a lot. Peter Seacosh and Chris Graves have done a great job uh, for uh, just, they just send me stuff. You know, I can't afford to pay them and they're just uh, wonderful and they're better at than I am at, at finding this stuff now because you have to go back door and I don't know what they do, but it's harder. So just finding a simple thing for a citation, let's say, okay, I know this, this, this particular thing, I know this is true, but okay, where's the source for it? It used to be, you could find it. Now it's much more difficult because they know what you're looking for. Right. So it, it exists out there, but if you're typing it into Google and trying to find it, they're just hiding that result. So there has to, you have to figure out some right. alternative ways to find it. And they do it all the time. For instance, I mean, just even things like I remember uh, when I was writing, I write for American Free Press, the newspaper as well. It's another way I make a little money. But uh, last uh, free independent newspaper in, in, in America. But I was writing an article about uh, when uh, the Washington Post uh, printed a retraction, I guess a couple years ago, based on because they had uh, they had uh, misquoted or taken out of context Donald Trump's quote on the phone call to the Ukraine or something. And they admitted that they had. So they put a retraction in the paper. I searched and searched and searched. You could not get a link to that retraction online. They blocked you everywhere. Eventually, I found that in the back door, a different kind of way. But that's what I'm even something like that, something like that. Or when I was trying, when I was writing Masking the Truth, you know, my book about COVID, my latest book, which is by far my most controversial. And they are doing, they are shadow banning that. They are doing things of that they haven't done with any of my other books. They're playing so many games and blocking it on search engines. And, you know, it's, uh, they have it listed for $999 on Apple Books. I mean, cr crazy stuff like that to discourage people from uh, buying it. But I was trying to talk, uh, you know, mention about the uh, Vaccine Immunity Act that was passed in the 80s, uh, which really led to, you know, where we are today. And it was Donald, uh, uh, Anthony Fauci was instrumental, was right in the middle of that. Well, I was trying to find something touching on that. They block everything online anything online touching on fauci and that 1986 act you can't find it and it's uh that's the kind of stuff i'm talking about they so they make it really much harder to do the research that used to be pretty uh you know fairly easy to do but now you know it's uh so it's you know it's it's 
obviously it can still be done. I'm still putting getting these books out there, but it just is a little more work involved now and it shouldn't be that way, but that's, you know, the way they Google, I think Google just signed some new uh, agreement with the world health organization again, because they really, really are <laughs> censoring stuff to do with COVID. But, uh, it's very, it's discouraging to people that want to pr produce these things because you have to depend on the search engines and almost all of them. People have sent me, I've got like a dozen alternative search engines I use. None of them work right. I mean, most of them are better than Google, but all of them use Google's algorithm to one degree or another. And that's the problem is that, you know, they have an algorithm there. They know what you're looking for. If you're looking for something that they don't want you to know, then they'll block it. Maybe we'll just have to go old school one of these days and, you know, go back to searching in libraries and reading the old newspapers with the, the microfiche. Yeah, microfiche, kind of yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. Yeah, may have to go back to that, but uh, God, I mean, I, my heart goes out to the people that uh, the old school researchers that used to have to do that because obviously it would take a lot longer if you <laughs> you had to go to the lab. And I did that when I, not before, because the internet was obviously already here when I started writing, but mm -hmm. way back when, I remember going and, you know, doing research and, uh, it wasn't easy because then you had to, you know, again, you didn't have even any word processing. You had to take longhand notes of things. Right. <laughs> you wow. know, couldn't yeah. email yourself. And so it was, you know, just imagine how uh, how those writers were. But I, that's why I have great respect for writers in the past. You know, they, they, they could write all their stuff in longhand. You know, now we go have word, you know, we have a spell check and all that stuff <laughs> that makes it a lot easier. They didn't have that back then. So it's... Uh, in most respects, it's the easiest time by far to be a writer because of, you know, the, the, uh, the way you can write now on Microsoft Word or whatever and the, uh, the tools you have there. But uh, on the other hand, they do put a lot of impediments up in when you're writing the kind of stuff I am. I imagine if you're just writing mainstream stuff that, you know, you can find anything you want on Google, but you can't when you're looking up controversial stuff. It wouldn't surprise you if someday they'll be able to live edit your own document. You know, if you're if you're working on uh, you're typing in your house, they're plugged in. Oh, we're just we're just gonna remove that line. See if Don notices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, you know they play. I mean, I, right now, you know, Twitter and uh, Facebook. I'm I've been shadow banned there for, and I still am. Somebody just told me the other day, and I posted something last night about coming up, going on a show last night, and he said I just got it this afternoon. And some people would get my posts and tweets uh, three or four days later. You know, after I promoted whatever it was I was promoting, uh, people have told me on Twitter, man, I've had to follow you like eight times. They just keep unfollowing people automatically on there to hold my numbers down. So it's very frustrating. And that, thank goodness for Substack, where I write regularly, donaldjeffries.substack.com. I protest is what it's called, just like my show that live streams every Friday on Rockfin and on my YouTube channel at, uh, from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. But uh, that's the only place I'm not shadow banned. But even there, they're starting to play some games. I have people all the time telling me, you know, uh, when you write something, I'm supposed to get a notification and it isn't coming or it goes automatically to my spam folder, even though I go in there and set it and say, this isn't spam over and over again, it keeps going back to spam. So we may see, so if, if, if Substack falls, I, you know, it's going to be very frustrating because that's really the only large scale platform out there that I know of that uh, you can still have uh, freedom of speech. Well, we'll have to see how it all plays out. You know, it seems like no matter what sort of levels of censorship there are, there's always something else that emerges that that people can kind of go to at the at the end of the day. So, uh, I guess it's kind of a pendulum that just keeps swinging back and forth. Yeah. Um, I want to. I do want to head back to the the JFK uh, rabbit hole a little bit, and then maybe maybe see where it leads. So, I mean, as someone who's been immersed in that assassination since, like you said, since one of your first memories, since being seven years old. Um, 
you said it was obvious that it wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald. It's interesting to hear you say that it was obvious even to like friends and family at that mm-hmm. time, because that, that's interesting to hear like the, the general, the public sentiment, at yeah. least maybe among, among Catholics or, or Kennedy fans. Um, but overall this time with, with another book coming out, focusing on the subject, what are, what are some of the conclusions you've come to uh, in terms of the specific actors involved and the specific reasons involved in the assassination of JFK. Cause there are a lot of people that agree it's not Levy Har- Lee Harvey Oswald, but then, you know, from there there's, there's a whole smorgasbord yeah, yeah. of ideas of what really went down. Well, I don't, I don't, I've never, you know, I tell people all the time and they say who killed JFK. And I say, well, you know, it begin with the fact that it wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald. So, uh, whatever else there, and they really didn't investigate any. Do, do you think he had any involvement at all, or do you think he was completely no, set he, up? No, he as was this connected tank? because I I believe in this this book that we're writing. It's going to call be called "Pipe the Memo in Red," uh, after one of the more colorful quotes of Dean Andrews, because uh, I have a connection to Dean Andrews' son. Uh, he's the beatnik lawyer that was played by John Candy in JFK. Uh, he's become a good friend of mine, so he talks for the first time, and uh, so we use one of his father's more colorful quotes. And there's a lot of focus on him and all the other players in New Orleans, because I believe that Lee Harvey Oswald was connected uh, through his intelligence work. I, I think it's obvious that he was some kind of an undercover agent, FBI, CIA, maybe both, maybe ONI. <clears throat> but uh, And I think he was, as Jim Garrison believed, that he was on assignment at the time of the assassination. He was told there was a plot that was brewing in New Orleans to assassinate Kennedy. And he infiltrated that plot. Now, that plot included David Ferry. Clay Shaw at the head of it, Jack Ruby, uh, Kerry Thornley, his Marine buddy, uh, Sergio Arcacha Smith, and lots of other Cuban players. But this, a lot of people mistake them. They weren't the conspirators. I mean, they, they, because I, I, most of them had intelligence backgrounds as well. So if I, I personally will go beyond Garrison. I believe all of them, except maybe Shaw. I think Shaw was the connection to the higher level people because Shaw in this book will show he had some really impressive connections. He was a powerful guy. and uh, But the rest of them were ben- beneath him in terms of it. So why was he consorting with them? But uh, the rest of them, I think, uh, we know Jeff B.I., uh, Jack Ruby had been FBI informant. David Ferry had mafia CIA connections. Um, I think that they may have all been told the same thing, that, hey, there's a plot brewing to assassinate the president, infiltrate this group. And they just played them off against each other. I, I think, personally, that's probably what happened. But now, it's interesting that all of those people in New Orleans, they all are on the record. They all hated Kennedy. And they would have loved to have him assassinated, except for Oswald. Oswald's the only one on the record who said nothing but good things about JFK. <clears throat> so it's very odd that the, uh, the one they chose as the Patsy is the only one who, uh, who wouldn't have approved his assassination. But that's what I call the ground-level plotters. <clears throat> and I think that's Garrison focused on that because that's all he could focus on. Because the people above them, you know, when you look at the people, uh, excuse me, I think it, the plot was very similar to what Mr. X, who was based on Fletcher Prouty's character in the JFK play by Donald Sutherland, I think it was very similar to that. Something in the wind, uh, you know, someone in the Pentagon, uh, someone in the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the upper echelons of the CIA. These people all make it, you know, they say nothing's on paper. It's not really said. It's just whispered in the wind. But uh, you're not going to find the memo. No, no. That's why people talk about the files. They're they're not going to have. It's not going to be detailed. But but I think if they release the JFK files, it's not like it's going to show the plotting and the planning and the truth. It might just show some aspect of the investigation we haven't seen. Right. So I think what you what you're looking at there is people that uh, like, um, you know, people ask me, okay, who were above that? Who were involved? Well, I think the Secret Service had to be involved. 
because they didn't do their job and they stood down. There's no question about that. And I emphasize the Secret Service all the time. Emery Roberts, who was in charge of the motorcade at ground level, he's the one who called back, who called them off and didn't let them go jump and, and try to uh, you know, protect JFK and do their job. Uh, I think William Greer, the driver of the car, was involved. Unquestionably, he he you know he he stopped or at least severely slowed down and turned around and watched Kennedy get his head blown off air. He'd already heard gunfire. These people are trained to speed out of there. <clears throat> he didn't do that. So uh, in a real investigation, though, the Secret Service would have been the first people questioned and grilled. Uh, they weren't because there was no investigation. So you have those guys, and if you want somebody in the White House that I think we can prove conclusively uh, was a conspirator who had foreknowledge, that would be uh, National Security Advisor McGeorge Bundy. McGeorge Bundy uh, read had had uh, written a new National Security Action Memorandum, 273. He wrote it the day before the assassination, November 21st. Uh, he drafted it. Uh, he had to have known that JFK would have never signed it and would have fired him. Because it completely turned on its head the recent uh, um, material in uh, National Security Act Memorandum 263, which started to delineate JFK's withdrawal policy from Vietnam. How they were going to have the first thousand troops out by, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 1965, and the uh, end of 1963, all forces out by 1965. So this was a revolutionary thing. And I think that was the main reason for his assassination, probably. But uh, so. Nobody in their right mind who expected JFK to remain in office would have drafted something like that because they had known the president wouldn't sign it because it completely contradicted his feelings and what he wanted done. But it's out there in the record. So, of course, uh, he was killed you know, before he saw the memo and uh, LBJ was happy to sign it. And, and the rest is history. So I think McGeorge Bundy, that alone and also McGeorge Bundy was he wasn't in Dallas. He was in the White House Situation Room on November 22nd. And uh, JFK's cabinet, very curiously, were all in the air flying to Hawaii for a, a cabinet meeting. It was kind of a, kind of a strange thing. But um, so McGeorge Bundy radioed them on the plane and assured them before anything was known about Lee Harvey Oswald. I'm not even sure Oswald had been, was arrested or they announced to public days. Lots of people were arrested. Uh, most of them, you know, bums and we don't even know some of them. But um, he assured JFK's cabinet that there was no conspiracy and they had the right guy. Now, he could not possibly have known that unless he had free knowledge. So you want, a cons you want somebody, that's a name. I, th I think it's pretty obvious Alan Dulles had free knowledge, J. Edgar Hoover. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to prove some of these things. But clearly, you look at who covered it up. And, you know, the FBI led by Hoover did. And uh, the Secret Service was still destroying evidence and not turning it over in the 1990s when the Assassination Records and Review Board tried to get some evidence. They destroyed evidence then. So they were still covering up. So the Secret Service uh, at some level was involved as well. So, I mean, those are, those I believe were the people, that, and I think you have people, some generals in the Pentagon that certainly wanted JFK killed, so would have been involved, and other people high up in the CIA would have as well. So I think it's, um, you know, it's it's pretty obvious that this was not any kind of a, a low-level conspiracy, but even many so-called conspiracy theorists like to say, well, it was some rogue elements of the CIA. No, rogue elements of the CIA can't continue to have every mainstream journalist still right. cover up 60 years later. For, 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 yeah, for yeah, 60 I mean, that's, years, right? That's, that's powerful forces. So this was a huge conspiracy.
And uh, I, I'm never going to back off of that. This is a huge conspiracy involving very powerful forces. But you, first of all, you have to admit that that they uh, obviously the official version is complete disinformation. That's where I start. Is it whatever else the investigation? There was no investigation, but what little they did inadvertently proved that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't do it. Whoever did. There seem to be certain hallmarks with uh, a lot of these public events where there's confusion in the beginning and the chaos of the event. But then shortly thereafter, uh, all of the officials seem to have the exact uh, exact conclusion. They've got the one guy, any reports of another guy, whether we're talking yeah. about Timothy McVeigh, it doesn't right. really matter. This is you can you can see the same story sort of play out over and over. Um, we have the certainty of the story. And then anything that derives from that story is you're conspiracy. You're in conspiracy land. You're a wild conspiracy theorist. It doesn't matter what kind of evidence comes out. It doesn't matter anything. It's just it, that first story is seems to be the one that is, it's the official one. You know, I guess that's what we call the official story. Right. And that's what uh, much of my work is. And when I do these, I, I show whether it's, you know, whether it's Vince Foster, for instance, that's a perfect example. The, the, uh, the first, there's a secret service memo in the Vince Foster case where uh, the secret service uh, details finding Vince Foster's body in his car. Now that contradicts everything about the so-called crime scene because they, he supposedly was found on the on the uh, ground at Fort Marcy Park. So that's an early story. Now, how how does the Secret Service make a mistake like that? Impossible. Obviously, they can't. Say so in JFK assassination, you have uh, reports of other guns found, other kinds of guns, and you have uh, you know the two, the, two, the two deputies that found the rifle on the sixth floor, um, Eugene Boone and Seymour Weitzman. Seymour Weitzman later ended up in a mental institution. Uh, because he literally went crazy after it because he couldn't deal with the fact it was a huge conspiracy. He was living a lie. But uh, both of them independently signed sworn affidavits that the gun they found was a, a German Mauser. Now, of course, we're told it was an Italian man liquor Carcano. And as Mark Lane said, you know, when he testified before the Warren Commission, he asked that the, the rifle be brought out. And he said, gentlemen, I'm no expert on uh, weapons, but I can tell this isn't a German weapon very easily because right on the barrel is stamped Made Italy. So, you know, that you don't make those kinds of mistakes. And that's the kind of thing. And so I've always said that if they had brought Oswald to trial, now, if they had brought him to trial, it would have been not that much different from our, uh, our corrupt courts today, where he wouldn't have been in an honest courtroom. So this wouldn't have mattered. But if the rule of law prevailed, the first thing a good defense attorney would have done would have, uh, would have uh, uh, moved that the, uh, the alleged murder weapon not be allowed to be admitted in the record. He'd say, Your Honor, there's no chain of possession for this. We have two sworn affidavits that the weapon found on the sixth floor was an entirely different weapon, a German Mauser. Where is the chain of possession for this Italian mint like Carcano? It doesn't exist. There's no chain of possession for it. So it's, you can't just, you know, supposedly, if the law works the way it's supposed to, you can't bring something like a murder weapon into the record without there being a trail. Where did this come from? There is no where did this come from for that Italian man like Arcano. In fact, it's contradicted by the two people found it who described it as a completely different weapon. So those are so many problems like that. The JFK assassination. Same thing with the ammunition, the magic bullet, for instance. Even if you go past the uh, the uh, the gymnastics and the impossibilities of it turning in, in in midair and all that stuff and entering six inches below the back and from six floors above and somehow exiting the throat without striking anything and then going on. I mean, complete. Nonsense, fairy tale. But e even if you go beyond that, how was it introduced in the record? I I've had a lot of this in my writing. I'll have more in the next uh, hidden history volume next year. But uh, we're not even sure the guy who they who's been attributed to finding it actually found it. 
he didn't know where he found it. He kept trying to, he gave it to his boss who kept trying to interest the uh, FBI and the Secret Service there in the book. Nobody had any interest in it. I mean, read my book, Hidden History. It went through so many hands who didn't initial it. Again, chain of possession becomes impossible. It got back to D.C. It was carried back to D.C. in the coat pocket of Richard Johnson, Secret Service agent Richard Johnson, who later, when Vince Palarema, a very good researcher on the Secret Service, when he interviewed him decades later and asked him about that, Richard Johnson didn't remember taking the bullet back. Now, just think of this. This is the highlight of it's got to be the highlight of the Secret Service agent's career. I transported you know, one of the bullets used in the assassination. He didn't. Right. Rem- it's a story you would probably of tell course. over and over for the rest of he your life. He didn't remember it. So that's what we're looking at. The chain of possession here is absurd. Uh, they did not. So for the JFK assassination, uh, literally, there was no evidence against Lee Harvey Oswald because all of it was tainted like that. All none of it came into the uh, into the uh, would come into the courtroom. Naturally, so a real attorney would have had it all thrown out because there's no chain of possession for it. But I know it wouldn't have worked like that because uh, you know every, the law is corrupt, and the uh, obviously, and it was corrupt then, and um, so he probably would have been railroaded like Timothy Mier, who you mentioned was later, or James R. Ray, or somebody like that. The Boston bomber, people like that. All these people got show trials where they got no representation at all. Where there were huge questions involved in all those cases but again the attorneys that represent them typically are either public defenders or they're people who are uh, hired because of their ability to go along with the narrative and not actually attempt to defend them it, one criticism that you often hear when discussing i guess what you'd call like high level conspiracies like this is people will say there's just no way that that many people could be involved. The, the number of people it would take to cover up all these little yeah. things could be involved. And also, and, and that none of them, after all this time, after these 60 years, uh, would be speaking out or would have said something on their deathbed or whatever it may be. Uh, what's your response to, to that criticism that, look, yeah. I get what you're saying. It might not even be a criticism about any of the facts. It might just be more of a, I can't wrap my head around this, but what's your, what do you believe? How do you believe this kind of thing gets pulled off? I guess is the question. Yeah. Well, people, people regurgitate that all the time. And that that's the, someone would have talked line. I hear it all the time. And I, and my point is, well, lots of people have talked. Lots of people have talked and the JFK assassination alone. Unbelievable. There was a huge body count. Tons of people that talked died unnaturally. I mean, it happened repeatedly. Dorothy Kilgallen, a very famous reporter, was obviously murdered. I and mean, she was a television star on What's My Line? And she was writing a book. The only mainstream reporter that was writing a book about the JFK assassination. She broke a lot of the early material that Mark Lane and people like that used in her column. So it would have been a brown, it would have been a bombshell book because of her name. She died very mysteriously, obviously murdered. Uh, so there are lots of people like that, who were talking, in this case and others. And you go right down, go through the decades. People like the DC... Maybe another case of where it's all hidden by an omission. Like, there are people out there saying things, but they're not getting the New York Times right. uh, headline. Right, because the, 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 the media is involved in covering it up. So they're not... They, they don't care what they're saying. They're not looking for a story. They're trained not to investigate anything. So there are lots of people who talk. And again, people can read my books and look at the number of unnatural deaths that happen. These guys. Look at the... Uh, Decades later, in the early 2000s, uh, the DC madam, Deborah Jean Palfrey, who had supposedly had a black book filled with all these powerful names that uh, were coming to her uh, brothel. And uh, first of all, one of her uh, girls was, was found hung. 
you know, and, and uh, hanged. And uh, so she goes on Alex Jones, big show. And she comes on there and says, look, I want to say right now, I am not suicidal. I am not going to kill myself. If that happens, I didn't do it. So what happens? She kills herself. So uh, she talked. The media wasn't interested in other than Alex Jones. And that's what happened. I mean, I, you know, I have people on my show, my little show, I protest that are talking all the time. They're exposing whatever level of corruption they're involved with. Municipal corruption sometimes. Child Protective Services. I do a lot of shows on that. And uh, people tell me, how do I have, have anywhere else to go? They're not, they can't go on any you know, national television talk show. Tucker Carlson was the closest they came to that. And he's off the air now. Uh, where some of them could, some of them, if they weren't too controversial, go there. But uh, someone would talk, and you know, a lot of that is used for. Uh, I haven't written, for instance, about the Apollo moon flight, but I, I don't think we went. I think I completely buy into that. I think it's you know, re- if, if people doubt that, read uh, read the late great Dave McGowan's "Wagging the Moon Doggy," still online. I and mean, that's another one where you hear that similar criticism of. There's no way this many people could be involved. You know. Well, that's and that's what I was going to say that you in something like that, you don't need that many people because you, you, you have a very few people that probably knew the vast majority of people that you see working the computers and all that stuff. They were doing what they thought was their job. They think it's really going on because they're not at high enough levels to know. So, I mean, this, this happens. It, it doesn't mean they're not part of the conspiracy. And hardly anyone is the one designing the thing. Most people are doing a portion, a part, a little part right. here, a little job here. So it's very easy to have them do a task, complete the task truly, and say, thank you very much for your part in this task. You did you did well. And then they th- and then they see the thing on TV and they say, well, yeah, I did that that little part right exactly. there. Exactly. And and so, you know, it's uh they can play them off against one another. But yeah, they, they, someone would have thought that that is their typical line. You can't keep a secret in Washington. Well, yeah. Well, you might not be able to keep a secret about some titillating nonsense that doesn't involve anything, maybe. But uh, you sure can keep a secret about, you know, uh, child sex scandals and things like that that are really, you know, if they want to expose something about somebody having an affair, maybe they would do that. But um, they're not going to touch on the really powerful stuff. So, no, it's it's uh, that's a very easy way for them to dismiss uh, to dismiss something and say, oh, that's crazy. Someone would have talked now. It's uh, people. Many people have talked. And the ones that look, I know. When I'm trying to write these books, what I really like to do, I love to try to touch base with the people that are left from these instances. And uh, 99.9% of the time, we'll find their phone number or their email, more, more likely their phone number. 99.9% of the time, these are people that are indirectly involved. You know, they're just connected with some witness or something. Uh, you know, you call them up, Phone's been disconnected. The number's been changed every time. And when on the rare occasions you get through to people, like I got through to Timothy McVeigh's father, he answered the phone. It's shockingly, wow. but uh, he wouldn't talk. I just looked him up in the phone. Yeah, book. yeah. He wouldn't. He wouldn't wow. talk. And I and I I said, look, man, I, I think you're you're for some. I sure he's heard it before. He's no, no, I've heard all that. I don't want to talk about it anymore. He hung up. And uh, that's what you get sometimes. But you, uh, I have somebody, and I'll have that in the next book that was connected with the JFK Jr. case. I was the first one to do. Uh, a real investigation on that and show, demonstrate conclusively that that was another Kennedy assassination. Unquestionably, JFK Jr. was assassinated. And he, uh, you know, this guy was connected to that. People have to read it. I'll just give you a little tidbit, though. He, he sent me a very nasty email, responded to me. And uh, he's connected to, but you can see these guys calling me a kook and all this stuff, but not addressing what I was saying. And But most of the time, they're scared and they don't want to talk like Seymour Weitzman. I mentioned him earlier. One of the guys, one of the deputies that found 
the weapon on the sixth floor, signed a sworn affidavit that it was a completely different weapon, German Mauser, went crazy, literally, ended up the House Select Committee on Assassinations, found him in a mental institution during the 70s. And uh, he people tried to interview him and everything. He he literally had been driven crazy. He, he didn't have uh, kids. And so uh, I packed out his nephew, called him up, and I got him on the phone somehow, and he just shouted at me. I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing about, you know, over and over again. And this is, again, at that time, it was uh, it was 40-some years after the event. And, uh, or male 50 years, maybe. And I was saying, you know, what what is it? Why is it? Obviously, the fear is still there. When I interviewed Scott Forbes, a 9-11 guy who wasn't, he worked in the Twin Towers, but he wasn't at work that day. But he had lots of information about strange power outages and all kinds of stuff him and his team had seen, and not, the authorities didn't want it. And again, someone would have talked. He talked. They lied about it and said, there are, these are rumors. So they were there. They knew firsthand that it was true. So uh, the fear, he had moved to England. The fear was still evident in his voice. And you say, so you, when you talk to these people, when you get through to them, you can see that there was still... Uh, that they're still scared when they talk, but most of the time they just change their number. They don't answer the phone. Like Timothy McVeigh's father, they just you know say, no, I'm not going to talk. And uh, so, again, if Do you think some of these people were, were directly threatened in some way, or they just have a general, I know that there's a, a bad news around this and I don't want to get involved? Well, we do know that tons of people have reported being threatened. JFK assassination, all these other instances as well. And again, I document these things in my book. People that said they got threatening phone calls, said the FBI threatened them, said the police threatened them. Anonymous phone back when you know you really can't do anonymous phone calls now, but back then they could. Right. And you know, it'd be best to you keep your mouth shut. Tons of people, especially the JFK assassination. So, as I pointed out, who was doing that? If there was no conspiracy, who who was making the threats? Lee Harvey Oswald's extended family? I mean, who you know, that make, obviously it makes no sense. And who's making the threats in all these cases? You know, what makes, after, after Jerry, Jerry Parks, who was the head, uh, and I'm going all over the place, but these things are all connected. Jerry Parks was the head of um, Governor Bill Clinton at Arkansas's uh, security detail. And when Vince Foster was found dead, he told his whole family, he became, you know, hysterical. And he told his whole family, I'm a dead man. I'm next. And he was. He was shot while he was at riding his car, shot by unknown assailants in his car. So, again, how did he know that? And how many people are just driving around that aren't member of, members of the Bloods or Crips, or gang members, are just shot like that? So these things happen all the time. I became friends with uh, Linda Ives, who was the mother of one of the boys on the tracks, Kevin Ives, uh, one of the probably most famous members of the Clinton body count. Two teenage boys that just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time on a summer night and were killed because they witnessed a, a, dr uh, a drug drop that was connected to Clinton. And... Uh, the, the, Linda sent me an email, and I put it in Hidden History, that had this incredibly long list of all their friends that had been killed, too. I mean, a whole score of young people that had been murdered because of this. Friends of those two kids. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So, again, these, <laughs> you know, wow. they didn't get to talk. So, they're, they're, these things are, it's, it's obvious. Yeah, I mean, you can point to eight dead kids and say, no, none of them said anything, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Or, or, you know, maybe they didn't. That's why. But, I mean, that's. So it's it's very uh, it's very convenient for them to be able to say no and want to talk, but uh, believe me, they're uh, people that talk definitely. And uh, so it's 
that's not an argument, but that's the, that's the only argument they do have because they can't argue on the evidence. For instance, if you're mm -hmm. talking, if you're talking Vince Foster, then, you know, if you say, okay, how do you explain the secret service memo that his body was found in the car? How do you make a mistake like that? There is no answer for that. So they'll just start, someone would have talked or you're a conspiracy theorist. So, okay, that's not an answer. It's, it's like right. calling someone a racist or a white supremacist. Right. That's right. basically what it is. It's the conspiracy version of, of that, right? Yeah, yeah, you're just a racist. Like, what? You know, how do you, because I, I tell people all the time, I have no theory. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I deal in facts. I publish these facts. They're inconvenient facts, but um, they can't be explained. And they're, uh, you know, the only way you can deal with them is to ignore them or to name call. And that's, that's what they do because they can't, you can't deal with things like that. You can't deal with, um, there was, I, you know, some of the things that uh, people tell me all the time, wow, you, you cover these cases that people forgot. You know, people that like there was a, a case of R. Bud Dwyer, who was the Pennsylvania state treasurer, who was uh, when Governor Richard Thornburg was in Pennsylvania. And Thornburg went on to become Bush the first's attorney general. So he was a man on the rise, totally corrupt. And this guy um, shot himself, noticeably, blew his head off at a public press conference. So that made, you know, a big firestorm back in 86, 87, whatever it was. And uh, the lurid detail, but the, the every, and I mean every single outlet described it the same way after reading a long rambling note that's how they invariably described it mm. he shot it he blew they don't out. say what's in the well, note no and the spotlight i write for the american free press now which was what the spotlight was before they were driven into bankruptcy by the anti-defamation league but um they were the only ones who covered it before the internet they interviewed his wife his widow and they published the long rambling note the long rambling note was a detailed indictment of Thornburg and his corruption and now he was targeting him and this was the only way out which is stupid he shouldn't have done what he did but he thought naively that by doing it the press that was assembled there would do something about it well no the press didn't do anything they didn't report it was a long rambling note so there's no innocent explanation for that there's no theory in that that just tells you that the press the entire press corps is like pre is like TASS and Pravda were in the Soviet Union they are not allowed, even if they wanted to, to report news. What could be a bigger story than that? The state treasurer, uh, you know, blasts the governor for this incredible corruption and then shoots himself. And you don't mention that he talked about the governor. They literally didn't even mention Thornburg's name. Mm -hmm. wow. So this is the problem you have. Or another one that's very similar that Bo Greitz, uh, who was uh, the guy they based the character of Rambo on in the Rambo movies. He came back. Uh, he was always trying to get POWs, another scandal, you know, that we left behind. But uh, he held a press conference again where he named, uh, he, he uh, had General Kun Sa, who was the, uh, the international heroin drug of the Golden Triangle, heroin dealers. And he wanted to announce that General Kun Sa had, had, had fingered uh, a particular person in the Reagan administration, Richard Armitage, who was the Secretary, Assistant Secretary of Defense as the guy involved in the heroin ring. Now, could anything be more, you know, explosive than that? Again, everyone in the press conference, the spotlight were the only ones that reported what Christ said. Again, there's, you, there's no innocent explanation. There's no theory. They are tasked and providence. So that's why I'm able to write these books because they did things like that over and over again. Well, and that, that might be another criticism you 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 hear. Uh, I hear stuff like this a lot. Well, 
okay, well, if there's these guys out there exposing the truth, whether it's you or other authors or whoever it may be, how come you guys are safe? People might say, how come they aren't targeting you? Or maybe, maybe they, maybe they, maybe they have, I don't know. But yeah, well, what do you say to that? I get that too. And I said, look, I, you know, I'd hate to think that the only way that I can have any credibility is to be murdered. <laughs> Because I mean that's basically what the and that you get you get that more in the yeah like you're alive world, so this can't be true until you're dead yes, then we'll yeah. believe you yeah well you get that more in the alternative world yeah. fellow people yeah. say well yeah you know he's you, a fed you, because he's, yeah right yeah they would they would have knocked you off you so I, I look I don't I don't know what to tell you but um, and at some point you can't knock everybody off who's theorizing about JFK for example you know right exactly and they just you know it doesn't. All we can do is analyze the people that they did knock off. Why they knocked who they knocked off? I don't know. But and but uh, I'm I'm not changing my uh, tune for uh, for anything. I don't cater my argument. I just I just report the facts, and I don't I don't theorize. I don't like I said. You even JFK. I don't I don't say I can name the certainly can't name the gunman. But I, I gave you a few names because I, I feel comfortable knowing that. But beyond that, it's and, and does the gunman himself really matter in the grand scheme? Because whoever the gun, right. whoever the actual gunmen or gunman or whoever, whatever, right. they, gunwoman, who knows, whoever they were, uh, it's that's not who planned this. That's not who you know. They're a foot soldier of some kind. Exactly, and that's it. It's, it really isn't. But uh, same thing with like uh, with JFK Jr. I mean, there's no question. He, I think he was killed by the same people that killed his father and his uncle. Yeah, I'd like to dig but, into that one more because that's one I I remember in the '90s. I I want to say it was '99. '99. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, I remember it, but that was before. I, I that's one I've never really dug into. It's one I've kind of assumed was had some shenanigans around it, but I don't know much about it. Well, and no one did before me, and, and uh, it's. Um, it's you know a few others have since then, but I'll and I'll have a lot more of it on it in the next uh, you know installment of Hidden History. But I mean, I talked to somebody in his uh, I talked to his high school girlfriend and somebody in his adult circle, inner circle that strongly said I have to remain anonymous. Again, the fear is there all the time, but uh, they uh, and other I have other sources as well said so that uh, behind the scenes, JFK Jr. alone among the Kennedy family members was obsessed with his father's assassination. He was reading the same books I was. He knew all about it. He knew it was a conspiracy and he was biding his time. He was only 39 when he died, 38. And he uh, he was getting ready to enter politics. And he, uh, Wayne Madsen, who's another journalist, told me that he had uh, been called in for an interview with JFK Jr., which would have been a couple days after he died, uh, for a job at George Magazine. And his assignment was going to be the JFK assassination. So imagine how explosive that would have been. JFK's son in his magazine features an in-depth investigation into his father's assassination. So they had to kill him. And it wasn't, you know, people say it was George H.W. Bush or Hillary Clinton. It's it's not as simple as that. They don't, you know, they don't do things like that. This, this, these, this was done by the same people that killed his father and killed his uncle. If, if JFK hadn't been assassinated, RFK wouldn't have been, JFK Jr. wouldn't have been. And, uh, you know, so that's the way it works. I mean, they're, they, uh, they know the dominoes, if, if the truth about any of these events come, comes to light, the dominoes start to fall. Well, that's an interesting segue to uh, another Kennedy Jr. that has just entered politics as well, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. I'm sure has been a huge, I know has been a huge subject of conversation, uh, especially in the alternative media. He's really a subject of a lot of what you mentioned a minute ago of, uh, well, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't be doing this if he wasn't, uh, I, 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 and I don't know what to think about the yes. guy myself. A lot of what he says on the surface, I'm, I'm a big fan of, but you know, I, I, I always have that who knows sort of mentality about, about this, but I, I'm curious your own thoughts on not just 
RFK Jr., but he himself has even referenced the CIA taking out his dad. So maybe you can, you know, yes. we, we touched on the other two JFKs. Maybe you can fill in that gap on on RFK and and how that progression went. Why why must all these Kennedys be taken out? And uh, is the current Kennedy any exception? Yeah, well, uh, better late than never for RFK Jr. But uh, you know, it's he uh, he certainly is bold, and I never thought I would live to see anyone, let alone a Kennedy. I mean, that seems to be a common streak, at least among that line, the JFK, RFK line is whether yeah. you agree with them or not, clearly they originated from a sort of a, an elite line of families like many other political yeah. families. Uh, but there is yeah. a sense of, of boldness and honor that does seem to to underlie a lot. Yeah, yeah. and I think he, uh, you know, there's almost like a Shakespearean thing there, or a Greek tragedy, mm -hmm. where yeah. it's, uh, you know, I've got to avenge, you know, my father's death, my uncle's death. And, you know, he's not talking about JFK Jr. And, I, and you know, J Bobby, Bobby and I are connected to so many different people. I mean, it, he just he knows who I am. He has he has at least a couple of my books I know. But um, for whatever reason, I can't get his ear. But he, he maybe thinks I'm too extreme. But he uh, he you know, he's very he's good friends with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, who wrote the foreword to my book, Masking the Truth, my recent book about COVID. And uh, so uh, but I, I, of course, I'm predisposed to like him. And most of what he says is great, revolutionary. I'm troubled by his comments on Israel recently, especially where he's mm -hmm. really, really. That seemed like a big, uh, an advisor pulled him aside and said, hey, you got to do a make You got to make this one up. All right. If you're going to do it's this. It's really overkill. He's way too excessive with it. It just looks ridiculous. I don't know why he's doing it. But um, that bothers me a little bit. But um, not enough to uh, negate all the other great stuff about him. I mean, just the fact that he's telling the truth about the vaccines, he's talking about uh, the medical industrial complex, he's talking about the, our terrible foreign policy, uh, and he's saying that the government killed JFK and RFK. I mean, you can't ask for too much more than that. Right. So uh, I, uh, and you know, and he wants the border closed too. So he, uh, at this point, he obviously has my support to whatever degree it is. But, you know, these presidents are selected, not elected. I can't imagine they would select RFK Jr. I don't think they seem to have stopped assassinating people. And if people realize, don't realize that the last assassination of a major political leader attempt was uh, was Reagan. Yeah. Wow. In 1981. So that's a long time ago. And uh, so they really have kind of changed course. I mean, otherwise, you know, if they were still doing it, they would have killed Pat Buchanan or Ron Paul. Or Do you think it's more that now they're they get far enough ahead of it on the front end. They're like, we're going to be a, a lot more locked down on who we let even get into these positions in the first place. So we don't have to do the whole messy yeah. assassination. Now we got to kill a hundred people and that kind of, kind of stuff. Well, yeah, I think so. I think to some degree, but I think uh, definitely, but um, they have other ways of doing it. And uh, with, with Bobby, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I hope he's not compromised. The Israel thing tr troubles me. But beyond that, he's got a lot of uh, he's got a lot of great points, and he's connected to a lot of good people. Dennis Kucinich was a, a very courageous congressman, and that's his uh, campaign manager. So I I don't know what to think. I mean, I hope he uh, I hope he has a chance, but uh, I I just I don't think he does because I don't think to count the votes. But at, at the very least, he makes things he makes the campaign much more interesting. So I'm watching, you know, like everybody else. I don't I don't know where the script is going to take us, but. Uh, at least for now, I find it uh, compelling. What do you think of Donald Trump in the context of what you said a minute ago, <laughs> presidents being elected and not selected? Because it does seem yeah. in the case of Trump, uh, one of two th scenarios, he either they don't do assassinations anymore. So they're just doing everything else that they can do. <laughs> or this is all part of 
the show of, 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 of what Trump is being portrayed as. And I'm just curious your sort of thoughts on that. Well, people can, uh, people can look on my Substack and uh, see, I've, I've written and talked so much about what I call the Trumpenstein project. I call him Trumpenstein. Hmm. And uh, I believe he was created to tap into that innate populism out there. Mm-hmm. And I believe he was, uh, uh, and they gave him all this radical campaign rhetoric, which sounded great, sounded great to me. And uh, no one had ever talked like that before. Uh, then he had four years as president where he did nothing except tweet. He didn't do anything about immigration. He didn't do anything about uh, bringing the troops home, infrastructure, all the stuff he promised. So he had four years already. He he uh, he named nothing but swamp creatures to his cabinet, almost all never Trumpers. There weren't even people that supported him there. It was, it was a joke, and I can only look at it as being scripted, and he's still playing this game. And uh, he now he's effectively being indicted over and over again for nothing, for crazy stuff. And uh, nothing's going to happen to him. But symbolically, they're indicting us. They're indicting dissent. And that's what's happening. Pro- with Alex Jones and him both, they're prosecuting uh, the people. Should they ever decide to actually question this corruption, we'll prosecute you. And I think that's what they're doing to uh, to Trump. And you know, there's no other explanation for it. I mean, it's like, was it 30 some more indictments the other day? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, um, uh, virtually every one of the charges is a joke. But because of Trump, Trump, Trumpenstein, Trumpenstein was designed to, uh, with a, you know, incredibly uh, a divisive personality to divide the country. And that he's done. He's killed the third party movement, which was, you know, strong in 2016. Bernie Sanders tapped into the lot as well. But because of Trump's personality, everybody either hates him or loves him. So nobody is going to go for a third party candidate because they're fearful it'll either elect Trump or not elect him. Right, right. I mean, you, you, it used to be the pretty standard, oh my God, biggest election of our lifetime. We don't want the Republican, the Democrat, but now it's kind of on a higher level than that. It's like, oh my God, we must have Trump or we must not have Trump. And there, it's it's very hard to find something in between that or even have a an actual political discussion that isn't surrounding Trump. Yeah, I mean, basically, I, I've said, you know, that uh, people, millions of people hate him for things he never did. And millions of people love him for things he never right, did. Right. And that's that's where we stand. Trey, he's, I think he's an actor. He's a giant orange actor. I so you think he's Trump a willing Stein. participant in this whole show, all the indictments, yeah. he, which is maybe why he's cool yes. as a cucumber during all this? <laughs> well, I'll give you an example. You know, when he, uh, I said that the last chance he had to prove there was an Alice in sincerity in him was when the first indictment in New York for the ludicrous rape case where the woman can't even remember the year it took place. And somehow they're indicting him on it. But, um, Again, we'll laugh at any honest courtroom. Uh, DeSantis, who he has attacked curiously, DeSantis came out publicly and said, hey, this is a joke. I'm not going to extradite him. So Trump had protection there. If he, he could have given a giant middle finger to the system that he's supposedly trying to drain the swamp, and he could have said, screw you, I'm not because DeSantis said, I'm not recognizing it. All he had to do is say, I'm not recognizing it. I'm just going to keep playing golf at Mar-a-Lago. And you know, if you want to precipitate the Civil War, bring it on. But no, his dumb ass goes to New York on the advice of his always terrible attorneys, and he has the worst attorneys ever, always. I mean, I've never seen a, a group of lawyers that he keeps regurgitating, but they're every one of them as bad as the other one. So some young girl he had, who he, got, he literally got her as a lawyer from a New Jersey parking garage. It's the president of the United States. He can't do better than that. So she, she told Tucker Carlson, no, I want, because Tucker kind of questioned it, saying, you know, why is he going there? Yeah, he's, he's, again, he's not obligated to do that. Make, I mean, in the, what I'm writing about in the book, uh, the uh, Pipe, the Bimbo, and Red, we're talking about all the witnesses that Jim Garrison tried to extradite to New Orleans where the governors didn't extradite him. He never got them. 
So there's precedent for that. All it, 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 he, I don't know what would have happened, but it would have been a huge Fort Sumter moment for the alleged opposition to say, no, we're not going to recognize. I mean, what, why would you recognize an indictment for a rape where the woman can't even come up with the year she was raped and is on record as bragging and laughing about it and joking about it years later on social media? I mean, this is a joke. But again, Trump, because he's an actor, he never does the logical thing. He never closes the border. He didn't, he didn't do any of the stuff he said. What, at the last step, he didn't pardon Assange and Snowden and Manning. No, he pardons the president of Death Row Records and a bunch of rappers mm-hmm. and Blackwater executives. That's what he always does. He does the thing. He throws you a curveball and his supporters still remain loyal, but he could have, he could have fired a, a shot heard around the world doing that. And I knew he wouldn't, but I thought, okay, let's just give him a chance to see. And sure enough, he marched up there and wow. Uh, you, you really thought you had a chance in a New York courtroom, really? And so uh, it's just, it's, it's terrible because he's the only, he's the person that still epitomizes the opposition. You know, he's, he's the opposition to this madness. And that's, that's the only one they're giving us. There is nobody else. So who else is there that has a big platform? And that's why millions of people still believe in him. I, I don't argue with him too much, but I, I you know, they, oh, well, this time, next time he's going to, he's going to really do it. So he had four years and he didn't do anything for, for some mysterious reason. But next time you think he's really going to do it. I mean, come on. It's just it's ridiculous. The, the entire premise is so I, I don't, I think we need to start local and try to work up because I, I don't think there are any answers in the national political arena, unless RFK Jr. somehow, but I, I don't think they'll allow that either. Well, Don, it'll certainly uh, be interesting to see how how all this plays out because I mean I think if, if there if there ever was any legitimacy to Trump, I mean, as you mentioned, there's there we can probably list fifty things he would have done if there was an ounce of sincerity, um, you know, intervening with the January six people saying something, for example, anything like that. Right. But there's a there's a right. whole you know, hours of podcasting we we could do about it. So it'll be interesting to see how how it all plays out because if his if his purpose is to suck away the energy, well. Uh, mission accomplished because even even <laughs> with the mainstream media, you know, eight years ago in 2016, they made the election all about Trump then. And the yes. the leaked sort of reason for that was, well, he was the Pied Piper candidate. The Clinton, the Clinton sort of promoted him along with CNN because they felt he would be the easiest candidate to beat. He, he's a joke. So we'll promote him for that purpose. And then that got out of hand. That's kind of the storyline. I don't know how much of that is true, but that's like what the leaked documents and that sort of thing. Yeah indicated but if they're doing this again because every time you see a conversation uh, a political debate when they're interviewing republican candidates the only thing they do is ask them about trump it's the only thing they do so they're clearly trying to make him the focus of it which is why he was the candidate the first time so they're clearly trying to put him back there even while all these indictments are coming yep that's right which i I couldn't agree more certainly speaks to your your theory the trump and sign theory for sure um Well, Don, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on, and uh, we're gonna you're gonna hang out a little bit more. We're gonna dive into this milk-filled room and see uh, see how much weirder we can get on some of this stuff. But I really do appreciate uh, your overall work. I think work like this uh, is very important. Actually, well, one more thing I, I do want to toss out to you, actually, because this is something that's on my mind all the time. I've always had an interest in in this sort of stuff, uh, the the hidden history things, political corruption, this sort of things for for a long time. But a thought that's always been in my mind, especially now that I, I talk about this more um, regularly in a, in a public manner. Uh, and I'm, I'm someone who puts a lot of the stuff out there is I, I think to myself, so what is the end game 
of trying to expose all this stuff to people. And of course, at my core, I think the truth is important. It's important to put things out there. It's important to, um, you know, to inform people about what's really going on. But if I try to follow that thought process, I, I sometimes I don't know what the end game necessarily is. And, and I do wonder sometimes, does it just discourage people when you're exposing all this corruption? Um, do, what, what, what can people actually do with this information that will be productive, I guess, is my, is my question to you. Well, yeah, people ask me that all the time, and I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Winston Smith in 1984 was still my favorite book of all time, and it's 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 great to be reading it now because we're living through a lot of it, and beyond that, uh, we're in Orwellian times, and uh, all that's missing are the Big Brother posters. But um, Winston Smith, when he first starts writing against the state, communicating, he you know he says about how he knows who and how you know he knows how, what's how he knows everything, but he doesn't know why. And that's, I'm still asking myself that decades later after I first read that book, I don't know why. I don't know why they do the things they do because they have absolute power. They have absolute power. They have the people trained and conditioned. Look what we just came off with two years of COVID where they had them, they got them, they, they took over the entire world without a single shot being fired. Well, that's a great example of, a, you know, how, how do you get so many people in on it? How many people, you got the whole world on it <laughs> not that long ago, so. Well, yeah, I'm saying that's so I, I don't, you know, I don't know if there were any naysayers, but certainly uh, we, if, if there were, uh, they, they didn't, you know, I don't know who they were because everybody instituted these absurd lockdowns. Everybody put these ridiculous masks on everybody, the six feet separation. I mean, insanity, total insanity. And uh, that was the most disillusioning thing for me. It's, I knew we were outnumbered. I didn't know we were outnumbered by that uh, much. And so um, why? People need to still be interested in it, but you're right. I mean, I tell people at some point, I think I'm just writing and it's just for my own entertainment or something. It's cathartic mm -hmm. to write it out because obviously I already know all this stuff. How many more times can I say how bad things are and how corrupt they are and prove another instance right. of a cover-up or whatever, a conspiracy? Um, but people seem to enjoy it. It reinforces it. And I think uh, at some point you hope that you, you're going to reach a person here or there who didn't know about it, or maybe right. somehow you can wake up. It's hard to do. It's probably easy to forget being someone like you or I, me on the interest end, you on the research end, that at some point you almost forget that a lot of people don't know anything about this stuff. You know, you, it, it, you take so much of it for granted and you never know um, what's going to be. Your book might be that one that they stumble upon. My podcast episode might be the one thing that someone stumbles upon that sends them down right. a, a journey of some kind. Right. That's the hope. That's the hope is to get a normie. And it's, it's, it's not easy to do because they're conditioned not to, uh, to think, but that's the only hope we have. Cause I said, you know, I said, I've said nothing's ever going to change until there are more us than more of them. There has to be more people awake than more people asleep. And right now there are a lot more people asleep. And, uh, if, if COVID didn't wake them up, I, I don't know what will, but uh, most of my friends that I believe, I think that, you know, we, we have to try to do something like uh, start local and try to, Try to see if we can get something going honest, honestly at, at the bottom tiers of government. Uh, I don't know if that's possible because we, we're not very successful with the school boards. I thought maybe we could really overturn some of the madness on the school boards, but I don't know how successful that's been so far. But if we can't do it at that level, then I, I don't know what we can do. We can, you know, a couple of my friends want to just start, uh, <clears throat> you know, local communities. And with local, uh, you know, commerce and bartering and all that stuff. And that may be the way we have to, especially if they go to digitalized currency, which they're probably going to do. So if they do that, that's going to effectively, uh, you know, cut into all of our wealth, that people are doing, because we're not going to have access to our money because our social credit score is going to be so low because we can't stop uh, 
<laughs> stop these thoughts of ours. Well, John, this Thought podcast crimes. ain't going to help our future social credit store. I'll, I'll tell you that. But I, <laughs> no, no. Every, every, everything I'm on just lowers my social credit score. <laughs> well, Don, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your work. Uh, feel free before we hop on over to the Smoke-Filled Room for premium subscribers, uh, feel free to let everybody know all the best ways they can find your work. Well, the best way is then Substack is the only place I'm not uh, <clears throat> shadow banned. My website is donaldjeffries.media, but if you go to Substack, donaldjeffries.substack.com, it's I protest. You can subscribe to me there and support me that way. Uh, there's a pay option, but I'm a populist, so there's no paywall. You get everything for free, too. If you want to help, that's great. Lots of people do. Uh, my book, Masking the Truth, How COVID-19 Destroyed Civil Liberties and Shut Down the World, forward by Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, is having is facing obstacles everywhere. They are doing everything they can to to stop that book from getting out there. People are getting it, but uh, we need more people to spread the word. So suggest that to your libraries. The libraries are putting up a huge wall. You know they they don't want to put it in there. But if you again overwhelm the algorithm, if they get enough requests, they will. A couple already have. So uh, those are the best ways that people can. Can you just bring them. your? Can I just show up at a library with a bunch of Don Jeffries books and donate them and say, "Hey, put these in your library"? Or is there more of a? Is there more of a bureaucracy than that? Well, sure, you you can do that, but there almost every library has an online uh, website, and you can just go and suggest a book. And if enough people suggest suggest you know my book or my books, um, you know it's happened. They, they, they'll eventually they'll get overwhelmed by the numbers, and they they will look past what the subject matter is. Say, okay, there's demand here most of the time. So, you know, keep in mind, most librarians are woke, so they're going to be predisposed not to like this, but they've, you know, I have hundreds of libraries that have stocked my other books, so I think it can be done. Well, if we can't take over the school boards, maybe we can at least, you know, flood the libraries with Don Jeffrey books, (laughs) nothing else. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Exactly. Thank you so much, Donald. Really appreciate you coming on my show. Thank you.